Welcome to Music History Monday for April 4th, 2022. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is McKinley Morganfield, also known as Muddy Waters. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on April 4th, 1913, 109 years ago today, of the American blues singer, songwriter, and guitar and harmonica player McKinley Morganfield. He was born in either Rolling Fork or Jugs Corner, Mississippi, known professionally as Muddy Waters, as opposed to, say, Crystal Springs or Briny Deep or Silty Delta or Occluded H2O, Maestro Morganfield slash Waters died in Westmont, Illinois on April 30th, 1983 at the age of 70. We will get to Muddy Waters as we will now refer to him in a bit. But April 4 is a busy day in music history, and thus I'd like to observe three other date-related events. We mark the birth on April 4, 1922, exactly 100 years ago today, of the American composer Elmer Bernstein in New York City. He died in Ojai, California on August 18, 2004, at the age of 82. Elmer Bernstein is among my very favorite film and television composers, and he would have been the lead story today if not for the fact that my Music History Monday post for April 3rd, 2017, already celebrated his birthday. Yes, I'll own up to it. April 3 is a quiet day in music history, and in the earlier days of this post, when I couldn't come up with a good date-related item, I'd look to events that occurred on the day before or after. Thus, in 2017, we celebrated Bernstein's April 4th birthday on April 3rd. That earlier post notwithstanding, Elmer Bernstein was such a fascinating, multi-talented person, and he composed so much music that we know and love that a little information about him here and now is most appropriate. As a child, Bernstein performed professionally, on Broadway no less, as an actor and dancer. He was an award-winning painter and a novelist. He loved the horses and was a co-owner of the Triad Thoroughbred Racing Stable for many years. He was an outstanding pianist and made his career on stage as a touring concert pianist between 1939 and 1950. He was a professor of music at the Thornton School of Music at the University of Southern California, USC, and during the 1970s, he was the conductor of the San Fernando Valley Orchestra. But it was Bernstein's film, TV, and theater music for which he is remembered today. He composed the music for over 200 films and for hundreds more TV shows. He composed the fanfare for the National Geographic specials that have been airing since the 1960s. He composed the scores for two Broadway musicals, 
How Now Dow Jones, 1967, and Merlin, 1983. And while even a partial list of Bernstein's outstanding film scores is lengthy, such a list must be provided in order to get a sense of his tremendous artistic range. Indulge me. The Man with the Golden Arm, 1955. The Ten Commandments, 1957. The Sweet Smell of Success, 1957. God's Little Acre, 1958. The Buccaneer, 1958. The Magnificent Seven, 1960. Summer and Smoke, 1961. Walk on the Wild Side, 1962. Birdman of Alcatraz, 1962. To Kill a Mockingbird, 1962. The Great Escape, 1963. HUD, 1963. The Carpetbaggers, 1963. The Sons of Katie Elder, 1965. The Hallelujah Trail, 1965. Return of the Seven, 1966. Hawaii, 1966. I Love You, Alice B. Toklas, 1968. The Bridge at Remagen, 1969. True Grit, 1969. Cahill, U.S. Marshall, 1973. The Shootist, 1976. National Lampoon's Animal House, 1978. The Great Santini, 1979. Meatballs, 1979. Airplane, 1980. The Blues Brothers, 1980. The Chosen, 1981. An American Werewolf in London, 1981. Stripes, 1981. Ghostbusters, 1984. The Black Cauldron, 1985. My Left Foot, 1989, The Grifters, 1990, The Age of Innocence, 1993, The Rainmaker, 1997, The Wild Wild West, 1999, Bringing Out the Dead, 1999, and Far From Heaven, 2002. Whoa! For our information, my 2017 post on Elmer Bernstein was entitled, The Other Bernstein. For the record, Elmer was no relation to Leonard Bernstein, 1918-1990, although they were in fact friends. Among the cognoscenti, Leonard Bernstein was known as Bernstein East, as he was based in New York City, and Elmer Bernstein was known as Bernstein West because he was in Hollywood in Los Angeles. They pronounced their names differently as well. Elmer pronounced his last name as Bernstein and Leonard his last name as Bernstein. A couple of other date-related events to spice up our Monday. Mono slash stereo. On April 4th, 1960, RCA Victor Records announced that forthwith and with forth it would release all pop singles, meaning 7-inch, 45 RPM records, in both monaural, meaning one chap. On April 4th, 1960, 62 years ago today, RCA Victor Records announced that forthwith and with forth, it would release all pop singles, meaning 7-inch, 45 RPM records, 
in both monaural, meaning one channel, and stereo, meaning two channel formats, simultaneously, becoming the first record company to do so. The first such mono and stereo release was Elvis Presley's single, Stuck on You. Still sounding like a million and one bucks, after 62 years, that stereo version is linked to this post. The song, Stuck on You, which was written by Aaron Schroeder and J. Leslie McFarland, was something of a comeback recording for Elvis the Pelvis. It was his first hit single after serving a two-year stint in the United States Army. The song went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, becoming Presley's first number one single of the 1960s. Not that you asked, but for our information, Stuck on You bumped Percy Faith's theme from a summer place from the number one spot, ending its nine-week run at the top of the chart. The Beatles' Superfecta. On April 4th, 1964, 58 years ago today, the Beatles scored an unheard-of five-way Superfecta. They held the top five spots on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 Singles Chart. Check it out. At number one on the chart was the Beatles' Can't Buy Me Love. At number two was Love Me Do. At number three was Roll Over Beethoven. At number four was I Want to Hold Your Hand. And at number five was Please, Please Me. But that's not all. The Fab Four had, at the time, an additional nine singles on the chart, meaning that the Beatles had simultaneously 14 singles on Billboard's Hot 100. Never before or since has a single group so dominated the charts. Not bad for a group that had managed, finally, to sign its first record contract just 22 months before, in June of 1962. Muddy Waters, 1913 to 1983. Waters' life and career were, in microcosm, representative of many black American blues musicians born early in the 20th century. Born in Mississippi 109 years ago today, he grew up dirt poor on the Stovall Plantation in Stovall, Mississippi, on the Mississippi River. Now regarding his birth date, Waters told everyone who'd listened that he was born in 1915 and not 1913, and his tombstone in Restvale Cemetery in Alsip, Illinois, bears that birth date, 1915. Well, in fact, Muddy Waters was not the first nor the last person to lie about his age. Every important document he ever signed in his life, including his marriage licenses, his musician's union card, and his social security application, indicate a birth date of April 4th, 1913. So. 1913 it is. As a child, he learned to sing in church. Remembered the mudster, quote, I used to belong to church. I was a good Baptist singing in the church. So I got all of my good moaning and trembling going on for me right out of church, unquote. 
As a teenager, Waters learned to play harmonica and guitar. He bought his first guitar from a Sears Roebuck catalog in 1930 when he was 17 years old, scraping together the $2.50 it cost. It was a Stella, a brand of guitar made in Jersey City, New Jersey between 1899 and 1974. The Stella brand may be unfamiliar to us, but it was considered in its time to be the best low and mid-priced guitar available. The list of musicians that played Stella's is most impressive, and it includes Robert Johnson, Lead Belly, Charlie Patton, and Doc Watson. Willie Nelson learned to play on a Stella. Kurt Cobain recorded the song Polly on his acoustic Stella. Mason Williams recorded his classical gas on a Stella as well. Waters made his first recordings in August of 1941, at the age of 28. The American folklorist and ethnomusicologist Alan Lomax, 1915 to 2002, had been tasked by the Library of Congress to travel around the southern United States and record country blues musicians. Muddy Waters later told Rolling Stone magazine, quote, he, Lomax, brought his stuff down and recorded me right in my house. And when he played back the first song, I sounded just like anybody's records. Man, you don't know how I felt that Saturday afternoon when I heard that voice, and it was my own voice. Later on, he sent me two copies of the record pressing and a check for 20 bucks. And I carried that record up to the corner and put it on the jukebox, just played it, and played it and said, I can do it, I can do it, unquote. Indeed, he could do it. In 1943, at the age of 20, Waters left Mississippi for Chicago. A year later in 1944, he bought his first electric guitar. Let us not mince words. The sound of Muddy Waters' electric guitar laid the groundwork for the gritty, urban style of blues that came to be called rhythm and blues, and later, rock and roll. By 1949, Waters had become one of the best-known singers and guitarists in Chicago's blues scene, and his band, which included Jimmy Rogers, Little Walter, and babyface Leroy Foster, was packing them in at the Dew Drop Lounge on Chicago's South Side. At the same time, Waters was also making recordings for a small jazz and rhythm and blues outfit called Aristocrat Records, the owners of which included two Polish-born Jewish brothers named Leonard and Phil Chess. When the brothers Chess bought out their partner, they changed the name of their label to Chess. It was for Chess Records that Muddy Waters recorded what would turn out to be one of his greatest hits, a song called Rollin' Stone in 1950. A performance of Muddy Waters performing Rollin' Stone, recorded at the Newport Jazz Festival in 1960, is linked to this post. It was thanks to the recordings made for Chess in the 1950s that Muddy Waters became known, or at least as known as any black American rhythm and blues musicians could be known at the time. 
Previously, we observed that Waters' life and career were, in microcosm, representative of so many black American blues musicians born in the early 20th century. That's because his reputation among black American audiences and certain ethnomusicologists and academics aside, Muddy Waters' music was otherwise almost entirely unknown to white mainstream audiences through the 1940s and 1950s. But there was a notable subset of white people listening to Muddy Waters' recordings in the 1940s and 1950s, and those were white adolescents and post-adolescents scattered across North America and Great Britain. Young, hip, rhythm and blues musicians who, simply and accurately, wanted to be like Muddy. Those kids included Elvis Presley, Robert Zimmerman, also known as Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Brian Jones, Mick Jagger, and Keith Richards. When Brian Jones founded a rhythm and blues band with Keith Richards and Mick Jagger in 1962, they named their band after Muddy Waters' song, Rolling Stone. When Rolling Stone magazine was founded by Jan Wenner in San Francisco in 1967, Wenner explained, quote, You're probably wondering what we're trying to do. It's hard to say, sort of a magazine and sort of a newspaper. The name of it is Rolling Stone, which comes from an old saying, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Muddy Waters used the name for a song he wrote. The Rolling Stones took their name from Muddy's song. Like a Rolling Stone was the title of Bob Dylan's first rock and roll record. We have begun a new publication reflecting what we see are the changes in rock and roll and the changes related to rock and roll." Unquote. Keith Richards remembered the impact and influence of Muddy Waters on his music this way. Quote, in England, we had no idea what was going on. We just got a few records here and there. But when I eventually got to hear Muddy Waters in about 1959 or 1960, it all fell into place for me. He was the thing I was looking for, the thing that pulled it all in for me. When I heard him, I realized the connection between all the music I'd heard. He made it all explainable. He was like the code book. I was incredibly inspired by him as a musician. When I met him, I was even more inspired by him as a person. That's really all I can say about Muddy. He was more than a guitar player, more than a singer, more than a writer. It was all him." Unquote. Fame and a little fortune. Muddy Waters did eventually find fame and a degree of fortune in the musical mainstream, though only after white rock and rollers had cashed in on his music and influence big time. In 1972, at the age of 59, Waters won his first Grammy Award in a category rather insultingly called, quote, Best Ethnic or Traditional Recording, unquote. Five more Grammys followed, 
1973, 1975, 1978, 1979, and 1980. In 1978, referring to his relatively late in life success, Waters told Rolling Stone magazine writer and critic Robert Palmer that, quote, this is the best point of my life. I'm glad it came before I died, I can tell you. Feels great, unquote. And that it should. We give the last word to the aforementioned Robert Palmer, writing in Muddy Waters' Rolling Stones magazine obituary on June 23, 1983. Quote, Eric Clapton called Muddy Waters his father and arranged to take him along as a special guest star on his 1979 cross-country stadium tour, partly to expose him to a vast new audience, but mostly, one suspects, to hang out and learn. Muddy thought a great deal of Clapton, too. He'd grin broadly, the crow's feet at the corners of his eyes crinkling, and call Eric his son. Muddy's final appearance was a walk-on on June 30, 1982, at a Clapton concert in Miami. He played Blow, Wind, Blow, a blues he'd recorded in the early 50s. The crowd knew it because Clapton often performed it, but Clapton wouldn't dare play it, let alone sing it, when Muddy was around. Unquote. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.